Birkas Kohanim, the Baruch of the Kohanim Gibas, is recorded in this week's parasha based on how Rashi explains the introduction to that Baruch. The Rebbe will give us a beautiful insight into the power of this Baruch. And it begins, when the Kohanim are instructed to bless the Jewish people, it says, So shall you bless the Jewish people, saying to them as follows. So Pirish Rashi, Rashi explains three things. First, he quotes the phrase and explains that that structure of the word, that construction of Amor is Kamoi, Zohor, Shamor is the same construction as you have by Shabbos, the word Zohor, the word Shamor which we'll discuss later exactly what it means Belaz Dishont, or however you pronounce it in Old French then he says, Amoy Lohem, another interpretation, Lohem, to say it to them means, Shukulam Shaymin, that they should actually hear what you're saying as the Koyanim. And then he picks up Amoy, that the spelling of the word Amoy is Mole with a Vav, to teach us Lois of that the Koyanim should not bless the Yidin, Bechipozin, rushing, Vabeholois, and it with chaos, Elabekavona, Uvelev Sholem, but rather with intention and a full heart. Now look what Rashi's done over here. The fact that Rashi, in all three interpretations, he quoted words out of the Pasuk. Twice he quoted the full phrase, and once just the word implies that each one of his three explanations is a different perspective and a different angle that is relevant to what he's quoting. And therefore, we have to understand. Seeing as in the first two explanations that Rashi uses, the headline he includes is He also explains not only the meaning of the word Amor, but clearly is interested in explaining the word Lohem as well, because he quotes it. Whereas the third explanation is only the word Amor, logic says he should have reversed the order. Rashi should have first explained the single word Amor, which is the first word that he's explaining, and why it is with a Vav. And then after that, then go into the second explanation, what should have been the second and third explanation of not only Amor, but Amor plus Lohem. So why did Rashi do it in what appears to be the wrong order? We said, Gufa Muvan, the only explanation must be that each of the three explanations are independent of each other, and nevertheless, in spite of them all being independent, they have to be explained in this particular order, because what Rashi wants to address by telling us why Amor has evolved, is a question that's only is a question that you'd only think of after you know the information provided in the two explanations of why it says Amor Lohem. So let's understand what Rashi wants us to know about this instruction. Let's start with the first explanation where he said Amor is the same construction as the word Kamoi Zohor Shomor. Some of the commentators point out what Rashi wants to do over here is the Yashiv Koishi Batevas Amor. He wants to address an apparent problem with the word Amor, because it's not said in an instructive language like Emor, which would be an instruction. It's stated in what looks like present tense. Or in the infinitive. Saying. The reason is, because, listen to it, it's not Emor, it's not in the plural imru, they should say, an instruction. And it becomes, it's omoyer. So that's the, apparently, say the Mephoshim, that's what's bothering Rashi. 
it sounds like an instruction. This is how you should bless the Jewish people. But the actual language, the grammar, is not in an instruction. It's in the infinitive. And therefore, some of the commentators in Rashi say that actually what Rashi wants us to know is that it's actually not an instruction. It's a, it's a present tense ver- version of the verb. And then they say, Rashi is telling us it's not so unusual. It's similar to Zohar and Shomer, which are in the, in, the, in the present. And when you have something which is in the present tense, and it's, you would have expected it to be an instruction, instead it's telling us that this is something which is an ongoing principle. Which is in fact what Rashi already said previously when he explained the word Zohar, that you should pay attention to constantly remember Shabbos even when it is not Shabbos. In other words, the comets followed by choylam version of a verb, is to tell us that something should happen consistently. So that's what some of the Mephoshim say about Rashi. He wants us to know, Omer Lohem is not the instruction to the Kohanim to bless the Jewish people, rather to indicate that Birchas Kohanim should be ongoing. That's one explanation. There's another set of Mephoshim explained differently. That actually Omer is not a word of instruction at all. But it is what we call the infinitive term of the verb. And therefore, Rashi comes to tell us, look, even when the construction is presented in the way of an infinitive, still it could imply an instruction. Look at those two words. Zohar and Shomor are in the construction that is not an instruction. It's say uh, remembering or keeping and yet the Torah's intention is to instruct us. You must remember and you must keep Shabbos. Okay, so those are the two commentaries. But the truth is, both of those angles and trying to explain why Rashi picks up and tells us that Amor is in that particular format like Zohar Shomor, there are many questions. Let's focus on one. Kemche Rashi Pirish Rakes Seeing as Rashi's intention, according to these Mephoshim, is just to explain why Amor is not Emor, why did he include the word Lohem in the heading? Remember, Rashi only includes in his Dibra Maschil what he plans to explain. If he's only explaining Amor, and that it is Loshen Mokor, and it's actually to tell us that it's a consistent mitzvah, or that it's Mokor and yet is an instruction, who needs the word lohem in the Dibra Maschil? Why didn't he just say the word Amor? Another question. Why does Rashi need two examples to prove that the construction of the word Amor could either be in the ongoing sense or in the sense that in spite of it being an infinitive, it's still a, a message for an instruction? He could have just brought one example. It would have been sufficient, surely. So those are our questions on Rashi's first interpretation. Amor lahem, yet you're only explaining Amor. And why do we need two examples to prove it? Let's look at the second commentary of Rashi. The second commentary Rashi proposes is, that you should say it to them, implying that the Koyanim have to speak in such a way that everybody hears what they're saying. So there, 
That would seem to be, as the Mephoshim point out, that a person shouldn't think that a Koyan is allowed to say the bracha quietly to himself, in a way that the community would not hear it. So what's Rashi telling us? You have to say it loud enough that they can all hear it. Now, Vayna Mormon, this really doesn't make sense because Aleph Mimon Afshoch, firstly, whichever way you look at it, it seems wrong. If Rashi's goal is to tell us the word, Lohem is the key. The key. The words you say have to reach them, so they have to hear. So Lohem is the key. He didn't have to then include the word Amor in the Dibra Maskal, because Lohem is what tells us they have to hear it. And if Rashi does in fact learn it from the word Amor as well, that the way that the Kohanim say the Brocha has to be in such a way that it will reach the ears of the audience. Which, by the way, would probably be the more logical way to explain it because the Pasuk is addressing the Kohanim, not the audience. So it must be speaking to how the Kohanim should say the bracha rather than how the, Kohanim, the, the audience should hear it. So there's still... Rashi could have used an expression which would have expressed that point. Like, for example, the way the Gemara says it, the Gemara says, Birkas Kohanim has to be allowed. Why say it in such a roundabout way? In such a fashion that people could hear it. Just say it has to be allowed. Question number two, base. According to the Mephoshim, Rashi wants to preclude your thinking that a Koyan can say the bracha quietly, that only the Kohanim can hear it. If that was Rashi's intention, like the Mephoshim suggests, why don't you just say so? Like he's about to do in the next explanation, don't rush it. So say, don't mumble it. <laughs> and exactly like the Sifri and the Gemara did. They said, Say it aloud. And if you think about it, if the Sifri and the Gemara had to spell it out, surely Rashi definitely has to spell it out. Because in mind, the Sifri is directed to at least a 10-year-old. And the Gemara is directed at least to a 15-year-old. And they had to spell out to the older child that what does it mean, that they shouldn't say it quietly to themselves. Then surely Rashi, who's speaking to a five-year-old, would have to say this clearly, without just leaving it to the imagination, say it in such a way that they can hear it. Third question on the second commentary of Rashi Gimel. Why does he say everybody has to hear? Why does he just say who has to hear? I'll say, but that's already in the Pasuk, right? Because we're following on from the Pasuk said, you're speaking to the Jews. Everybody knows that the Kohanim giving the Brocha don't have to be heard by the entire Jewish nation in spite of the fact that the Pasuk said, B'nai Yisrael. It's whoever happens to be there in front of the Kohanim when they give the bracha. 
Vim Kane Hoyle the Rashi Richtai Vesinglen Amatim Yoiser. So Rashi should have used a much clearer expression. Adere Haloshim Besifri, similar to the expression that the Sifri uses. She call ha kohol and esafim shemeya vechayotzebaze. That all those who are gathered in that space need to hear what the Kohanim say, or something like that. So to suggest that Rashi's only concerned that you might think the Kohanim could mumble the brochas and that's okay, and he had to preclude that explanation, clearly not the case. So what's Rashi trying to tell us? And lastly, Bapirish Gimel, the last explanation of Moir Mole, where he says that Moir is written with a vav to teach us that they shouldn't rush through or be chaotic in the way that they give the brochah, but they should have intention and a full heart. Also, a couple of questions we have to understand over there. Three questions. Aleph, number one. Many times when analyzing Rashi, we've learned a principle of Rashi, which is, the fact that sometimes a word is written with a vav or without a vav or any other variation of spelling is not a compelling question for the pshat understanding of a pasuk. that Rashi has to address. To the contrary, the vast majority of times that a word is written in the Torah either with an additional or a missing letter, in Rashi Meir Dover, Rashi says, not a word. Unless there's a specific question that relates to the understanding of the Pasuk, which would then be answered by the fact that the word is spelt in a particular way, then Rashi would mention it. So, if that's the case, we have to understand. What about the instruction to bless the Jewish people? is not clear in Pshat, that by knowing that Amor is written with a Vav, now we'll have clarity. What? What's so difficult to understand? Bayes, another really simple question, if you think about it, an obvious question. Why would you think the Kohanim would rush? Why would you think the Kohanim would be chaotic in their blessings? That we have to give them a special warning. Make sure to focus. Why? Medrash says, Don't think that because I've instructed you to give the Jewish people blessings. Don't now give a brocha as if it's a burden on you or it's something that you just, you've got to get off your chest. The major says, do it with intention, with love. Apparently what the Midrash is saying, according to the Mepharshim, into the hands of the Kohanim, so the Kohanim might be tempted for whatever reason just to get it done. That's the Midrash. But it doesn't seem that that's what Rashi intends to tell us. Because like we said before, if Rashi wants to say something, he could say it. He could say clearly, don't rush and feel it a burden. He didn't say that. 
And the truth is that even though the Medrash does take that particular angle, it's not so suitable to the simplest understanding of the of the Pasuk. Because prior to this, we've already learned that a foundational mitzvah of Judaism is to love your fellow like yourself. Obviously, every coin wants what? That if somebody gives him a bracha, Obviously, the coin would not want somebody to rush a bracha to him. He'd want a full-hearted bracha. Surely, he would do the exact same thing when blessing the Jewish people. Okay, so perhaps he'll have another angle on this. But even that, the rep is going to debunk. Don't think that the reason you might suspect the Kohanim of rushing or being tumult when they give the broch is because they'd be overwhelmed because they've been given such a massive responsibility by Hashem to bless the Jewish people. Because the Kohanim are not the only people who are ever instructed by Hashem to do something. And if we're worried that somebody who's instructed directly by Hashem is going to get to tumult from doing it, then, then the, the Torah should have preempted that. The very first time we were ever given mitzvahs, like the mitzvah of don't get overwhelmed, even though it's a tremendous responsibility to do what Hashem says, don't get overwhelmed. Why wait all the way to Parashas Nase? Now say, guess what? People should not get overwhelmed and too excited about the responsibility of a brocha and mess it up or a mitzvah and mess it up. Why does Rashi have to say there's two issues we're concerned about? Speed, that they're going to rush through it, and chaos. Where did Rashi get these two ideas from. And we can ask a similar question about the two positive instructions that Rashi believes the Torah is giving the Kohanim, with intention, with a full heart. Why two? Especially when you consider that the Medrash only looked at one possibility, which was Kavana. So it would appear that we haven't really understood what Rashi needs to address over here. It's not as simple as what is the format of the word Omoir and, oh, okay, it's like Zohar and Shomer. And it's not as simple as saying that they need to hear what you're saying. And it's not as simple as saying that they shouldn't get to Tzutumot. There's more to it over here as well. First, let's start right at the beginning. Why is Rashi absolutely convinced that the format of the word Amor is like the format of the words Zohar and Shomer? It's only because it says Amor with the word Lohem. That's why Rashi includes both words in his headline because that's what leads to his explanation. Why so? If the Pasuk had said, So shall you bless the Jewish people, saying, Then it would be absolutely clear that the word Amor is not an instruction. is the instruction, bless the Jewish people. Amor is the infinitive, saying. And that would be fine, we wouldn't have to explain it. 
And we would have interpreted the Pasuk, This is how you bless the Jewish people by saying the following words. But now there's a bit of a mixing of two metaphors over here. You've got the word Amor, which is the infinitive, and you've got Lahem, which is the recipients. It sounds like an instruction. Like very shortly before, we were told that the Nazir may not become impure to them. That's an instruction. Become a Kayotzeb as in many other examples. So now we have a problem. If it sounds like an instruction, why is the verb not structured like an instruction verb? Why is it amoir and not emoir? If it was just amoir on its own at the end of the sentence, great, saying, no problems. But once you put lahem, it sounds like there's a direct instruction over here. Lashen mokir, lashen al peula, the infinitive version of a verb. And the instructive version of a verb, harem beizin yodim nefrodim, they're completely different ideas. Kimokr shoyl Some A word that is a, 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 what they call present participle. In the infinitive. Saying, doing, it's the opposite of say, do. It's the exact opposite message. That's what's bothering Rashi. That's what Rashi wants to address. That even though the words Amolehem actually do indicate an instruction, it could still be structured that the verb is in the form of Mokar, of the infinitive. And he has to prove it because he has examples. And later on, Shomer is Yom HaShabbos. It's definitely an instruction. And yet it definitely was presented not in the format of an instruction, but of an infinitive. Because, as we already noted from Rashi, the indication over here is that it's got a long-term effect. You should always be remembering Shabbos, even during the week. Similarly with our it is expressed in the format of Mokar, because the Brocha of the Kohanim is an ongoing mitzvah that exists right throughout the period of the whole of history, but it's an instruction. And now we understand why Rashi needs both words. Because let's say that Rashi had only said Amor is like Zohar. It actually wouldn't be good enough for us. Because we'd then say Let's analyze the word Zohar. You could say that putting Zohar in that infinitive allows us also to interpret as an instruction why because Rashi tells us that mitzvah is actually an ongoing mitzvah it is an ing mitzvah it is remembering in Rashi's words always remember Shabbos even when it's not Shabbos and Rashi is not saying that you have to actively do something to remember Shabbos but that your heart should always be focused in such a way that you will always remember Shabbos. So it's a mitzvah which doesn't have a start and end date. But then you'd say, 
Birkas Kohanim is not like that. The instruction to say the words of Birkas Kohanim to the audience. That's actually not something which is all the time. It has certain times during the year when you say Birkas Kohanim. And uh, even in those places in the world where you say Birkas Kohanim every day, it's still a certain time when you say it. Even if you do believe that the Torah is telling us over here, you have to have Birkas Kohanim daily. It's only once a day. That's not like Zohar, which is always be conscious of Shabbos, so you can always remember Shabbos at all times, 24-7. That's why Rashi has to bring a second word, where you see Shomer is also in the same construction, and yet it's not every single moment of every single day. Because the fact that Rashi just said Zohar Shomer without telling us which Zohar and Shomer he was referring to, well, then it becomes obvious. Must be referring to a Zohar and Shomer that we're already familiar with, that we've already learned about. Which is Zohar and Shomer with regard to Shabbos. And therefore we'll know this, that Shmir Shabbos ain't a pula to me, this minion to me. To God and to keep Shabbos is not something which applies 24-7. Obviously only on Shabbos. And in spite of the fact that it is not 24-7, it's still presented in Loshon Mokor, in the infinitive, with the comets, which indicates something constant or consistent. Which then teaches us, Now we know that it is possible for there to be an activity which is not a 24-7 activity, but if it is something which is done consistently at the same time each time, like Shabbos or like Berkas Kehanim, that consolidates Rashi's argument that the Loshen Mokr works and belongs here. But on the other hand, he couldn't have only used the word Shomer and not Zohar, because that would have been a very weak argument in favor of what Rashi wants to tell us, that Omor could also be an instruction. Because to keep Shabbos has no proactive elements to it. That's the Zohar. The proactive elements are the Zohar elements, making Kiddush, etc. That's the Zohar elements. The Shomer elements are all the things to desist from. It's only things that you have to avoid. And so if you only had the word Shomer to prove that this construction of the verb works as an instruction, you'd say, yeah, what kind of an instruction? An instruction that could be always. Why? Because even though the way you desist from certain activities is only at certain times, but through the course of Shabbos, every minute of Shabbos, there are things that you're not doing. Whether you thought of doing them or not, the fact is you're not doing them. And the truth is, even during the course of the week, even when a person does these same activities during the week, they're still shame Shabbos and not breaking Shabbos. That's why the primary proof is from the word Zohar, because that's a proactive mitzvah. That you have to do something to commemorate and remember Shabbos. 
And obviously that's not going to be as consistent as Shomer, because Shomer is, you could do that your whole life. A person could go through their whole life without breaking Shabbos every single day of the week. And there where you have Zohar, and it's constructed in a way of the infinitive, that helps us to understand how Amor could also be the same and yet represent an instruction. So let's bring this back to Amor Lohem, the instruction to give the Birchas Kohanim. We know clearly that Birchas Kohanim is not a 24-7 mitzvah. It is only at certain allocated times. Yet on the other hand, because it has a consistency, it's always at the same time, where there be certain times of the year, or if it's every single day, but at a certain time, you could use the expression saying, which indicates that it's ongoing, like we've seen with the expression that even though you only light the menorah at night, it's still called tamid, as if it's constant. Even though it's not lit for 24 hours. And the truth is you could say the same for the carbon tamid, which is also not something brought throughout the day 24-7, and yet it's called tamid because it happens consistently every single day. So now that we know that Amor Lohem is an instruction specifically put in the infinitive to indicate that it's a regular, consistent instruction to bless the Jewish people, now we have another question. Aleph, If you consider it, the Torah does not allocate a time when you're supposed to say Birkas Kohanim. So if that's the case, what do the words Amolahem add to the story? When you already have the instruction to bless the Jewish people. If Amolahem is not going to tie it down to a specific time and it's only going to indicate that it's ongoing, who needs it? And don't think that, oh, well, maybe if you just saw the words Koisavarucho, you might mistakenly translate it as Shabirkas Koyanim in the Indian shoulder, Shus, that it's up to you if you want to bless the Jewish people. This is how you do it. That should you now opt to bless the Jewish people, this is what you should say. Therefore, the Torah has to quickly say, no, no, you must say it. You have to say it. Because if that really was our concern, that a person might misinterpret and think that Brikas Kohanim is voluntary, well, then the Torah should have said it the other way around. It should have first started off, say the following words, or bless the Jewish people, and then say, using these words. So why do we need Amor Lohem? If we already know Kosev Aruch keep blessing the Jewish people always. Beis Yaseirim Yisoy. Furthermore, Amor Lohem doesn't just say say, saying, saying to them. That's not only an extra word, which apparently doesn't have to be there because Amor would have done the job. Lohem actually seems to contradict the message of the Brocha. Because the whole bracha is in the singular. 
All of those are in the singular. And Lohem is now in the plural. So not only is it an extra word, it seems like a misfit word. So therefore that forced Rashi to explain that the Torah is obviously showing us not only is there an instruction to the Kohanim, in even though it's Loshen Moko, but beyond the instruction to the Kohanim, there's also a message that is relevant to the listeners. Which Rashi interprets to mean they must all hear the words of the bracha. What's he saying? Yes, it is correct that Berkos Kohanim must be stated in the singular. Which means that the Kohanim that the Kohanim cannot stand up over there and say, we're giving a blanket bracha to everybody. Their intention has to be to bless every individual as an individual. Yet on the other hand, the Kohanim have to say the bracha in such a way that everybody assembled can hear the bracha. So you got all these individuals, including the individual, each individual who's receiving the brachas, Yet they all have to hear the bracha as one. So now Amor Lohem is telling us what? Not just that it should be loud enough. That the message of the Koyhanim, although directed to each individual, has to be heard by everybody. Now that would make you think the Koyhanim are going to be completely to tumult. And so therefore Rashi has to explain it. Because of Lois of Orchem Bechiposin of Bebeholus, he says, Omoir Mole teaches us don't rush it and don't be chaotic about it. Think of the demands that we're placing on the Kohanim now. They have to intend that their bracha is focused on each individual as an individual. And at the same time, they have to have in mind the entire community. Lohem. He might feel like he has to rush, because now he's saying, you and you and you and you. I've got to go through this quickly. I've got to think of this person, I've got to think of that person. So there's pressure, there's kind of time pressure. And I've got to be thinking about everybody. And with confusion. Literally, the, the coin could get a little bit confused, a little bit uh, distracted by all the things to hold in his head at the same time, the individuals, the community. Rashi says that's why the Torah put an avav into the word amor, a full word, because it's necessary to make a special mention over here, that it should be clear, it should be intentional, it should be heartfelt, that there should be a clear intention for each individual and a clear intention for the whole community, and all of that without getting all you know, phased, and I believe Shalom, but with a full heart. Peter, to put it clearly, the Koyen might well think, 
He has this whole community to bless. So he might think, you know, I'll give a little bit of emotion to this one, a little bit of intention to that one. Therefore, the Koyan is given this incredible responsibility to bless everybody as an individual with his full heart. It's a huge thing for a Koyan. Each individual with his full heart. Now we can see the element of Hasidus embedded within Rashi. What were the two examples that Rashi brought to show us that the construction of the word Amor works? Zohar and Shomer. Those are not just to explain the words. Zohar and Shomer actually play the role of an introduction to the Birkas Kohanim. How so? They have the same theme. When it comes to the word Yivarecha, Rashi, Rashi explains it means she's that your asset should be blessed to grow and increase. And then following that, it says that Hashem should guard you. Because of Rashi, Rashi says that you shouldn't have, God forbid, robbers who come take your assets. And he gives a whole explanation that when humans give you something, they can't ensure that it won't be taken, etc. If a person gives a gift and it gets stolen, the recipient has no benefit from the gift. But says Rashi, Hashem is not that way. He's the one who gives us the, the gifts and he's the one that protects those gifts for us that they don't get taken from us. Why does Rashi have to get in so much detail? If robbers come along and they take the gift away from him, what benefit, pleasure, enjoyment has he had from this gift? What's Rashi telling us that we don't already know? Self-understood, if a person loses what was given to them, it's, it's, it's painful. Rashi is not just telling us about human psychology. Rashi is explaining these are not two distinct brochas, the brocha of giving and the brocha of sustaining or guarding. It's a single brocha. The brocha is, she is baruchu nechosecha, that your assets should be blessed in such a way that Hashem guards those assets because without Hashem's security, what would the value be in the brocha? The holy brocha would have been a waste of time. Hashem should, so to speak, show his countenance to us as they translate it and give us peace. Again, it's not two separate things. It's a single bracha that has both a positive element and an element that we have to ensure that we can preclude and exclude. When can a person have peace, the positive? When Hashem diminishes or subdues his so-called potential for anger against a person. So there are twin brachas going on over here. The giving and the protecting. The peace and the lack of, of din, of, of criticism. 
Rashi is plugging that same message into Amolahim. Shaha Brocha is telling us what kind of a Brocha do the Koyhanim have to give the Jewish people. He Shomer, the kind of Brocha that has this twin value, like Zohar and Shomer. Zohar and Shomer are not two separate elements. The one theme, to the point that they were actually said simultaneously. When can you remember and sanctify Shabbos properly? Only when you guard all of those requirements of what we have to desist from on Shabbos. And Rashi wants us to know that Amolahim is the same thing. Every brocha that the Kohanim give us, which is Shlilo, has something that Hashem is giving us and something that Hashem is protecting that shouldn't harm us. And they're twinned. They're, they're one concept, two faces of one coin. Like we said before, the brocha of giving us assets is that He can protect those assets. The one who gives is the one who guards. And only that will make it a full and complete bracha. Rashi, following from that, Rashi explains that not only must the bracha be said, but it must be heard. In order to prepare for this kind of bracha, what kind of bracha? Bracha achas a singular bracha that both has an element of what it contributes and an element of what it contains and protects. It's a Bnei Yisrael that can only happen when the Jews, and the Kohanim blessing those Jews, also have to have both elements. There has to be something which is given, something positive, proactive. A single uh, tense brocha for each individual, single form brocha for each individual. which has to be relevant to what the kohanim say. That each kohen has to listen. Uh, each Jew has to listen. Yet on the other hand, everybody together has to listen to the brocha. Meaning, no person can be so self-absorbed to think the brocha is only for them. They have to hear that this is a brocha for all of us. And that is achieved through putting ourselves aside. Shabbos, you put a certain activities aside. At Brekos we have to put our ego aside to be able to receive the brocha as part of the collective. Vazai, when you have that healthy balance of both the giving in the proactive personal way and the protection in the broader way, then when we're all with that sense of unity, that we're sharing this experience together. That opens the channel that Hashem should take a bless us. Till you get to the, so to speak, overarching bracha of all the Yosem Lechasholim, that Hashem should give us peace, which as the Gemara tells, tells us, Shoshokal Kenegad Akol, peace is worth everything. Until we get to the ultimate peace at the time of Moshiach, Shesholim Shmoi, whose name indicates what he brings to this world, peace. To the point that the entire world is united, not only us. And the entire world blesses Hashem, not only the Kohanim blessing us. 
because then we'll reach a point where the world is filled with knowledge of Hashem, like the ocean is filled with water. It should happen, happen, take it, or miyad mamish.